And we're back with the second half of episode 16, where Adam and I talk about our favorite collected editions of comics. I think this is a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it as well. We do have one little bit of business to cover, and that is we need your help. We want to find out from you what you prefer. Do you prefer these shorter episodes, which might be multi-part conversations that Adam and I have? Or would you prefer just the longer uncut uh, episode where you can come back to it at any time on your podcatcher of choice? Let us know on Twitter where we can be found at Graphic Podcast or via email where you can write us a note to content at gmail.com. Seriously, we'd love to hear what you think about this. It'll help us make a lot of decisions about how we record the episodes going forward. So, without further ado, here's Jim and Adam. Well, wait a minute. I'm here right now, but this is the future as to, to then when I recorded this. What the hell am I doing? Well, forget forget my confusion, my temporal confusion. Let's just hear what we have to talk about with regards to collected editions on graphic content. So, Jim, what's your next pick? Well, let's dovetail off of Will Eisner because I think this this young man has definitely been influenced by some of the greats like Will Eisner. Um, this is a book that Dark Horse published, I want to say back in 2012. And it's by an artist who's definitely gotten a lot of play recently and a guy that I've mentioned on a few other podcasts. Another fellow spirit uh, collaborator who's currently putting on a spirit series. Exactly, which is why I have not gotten my sequel to this book yet. And that is cr- his creator own work, that his being Francesco Francavia. And uh, that is The Black Beetle. And I'm telling you what, okay, so who is The Black... Okay, what is The Black Beetle? I'm going to try and describe the cover of The Black Beetle for you. I've honestly not read... I mean, I read a little bit out of The Dark Horse Presents, so I'm excited to see... This isn't something I've had a chance to uh, spend time with. This is... I'm holding in my hand a, a hardcover I just bought two days ago. Um, I was in a I was on in Reno for business, and I stopped into what I thought was a little comic shop in Reno, which turned out to be this expansive, awesome comic shop. And I accidentally picked this up off the shelf because it was just spying out. And nice. So, but the distinctive pattern, I said, wait a minute, and I pull it out because I have uh, the Black Beetle on Comicsology, but I, and I've read all. I think there was a zero issue and a one through four which comprises a storyline called No Way Out. And um, look, let, let, me, let me back up. This character looks like a combination between the Shadow, Batman, and the Blue Beetle. <laughs> Absolutely. Clad all in black with these giant red bug-like goggles. He carries twin forty-five caliber pistols, wears a long flowing cape, has a utility belt full of gadgets. He's got a, a red scarab emblem on his head. And you know what he does? He fights fucking crime. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this book looks so much like a, a, like, a, like a pulp novel, you know, like The Spider or The Shadow or something like that. Very much. It looks like a very... If, if you'd told me that, oh, this is an adaptation that he's, he's brought back uh-huh. from that, you know, the 20s, 30s, I'd be like, oh, okay. Like, I'd believe it. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to read to you the back cover copy because this is not a book that a lot of people are aware of. Again, it's a dark horse book, so it's a dark horse in that respect. And uh, here's the back cover text. When Colt City cries out for justice, there's one man who will answer the call. It's 1941. Jazz and news of Hitler's victories dominate the airwaves. A nation on the verge of war enjoys the calm before the storm. Gangsters rise to power, making money hand over fist with nightclub rackets, arms deals, prostitution, and drugs. Crooked cops grow fat on mob payoffs. Nazi spies <laughs> seek out holy shit. Nazi spies seek out occult artifacts on American soil. And I'm going to go back to my 1940s announcer voice. And a bug-eyed detective known only as the Black Beetle patrols the rooftops. Wielding a ray gun, dual pistols in his wits, he seeks to make his city safe. When two local mob bosses meet to discuss a truce, a mysterious explosion brings a pub to the ground, killing a majority of Cult City's organized crime in one fell swoop. Who could pull off such a coup? And what danger might that murderous bomber do to Cult City? The Black Beetle is on the case. How fucking awesome is that? I'm sorry. That's okay. incredible. You have you have mobsters, you have crooked cops, you have Nazi spies, you have occult artifacts, you have guns, ray guns, bug-eyed masks, and every storytelling device that is fucking awesome that we love from that time period. I should also say there are hints to Indiana Jones and H.P. Lovecraft. No shit. I'm not fucking kidding. It's everything that's great about comics and pulp lit is in this book. And this book is a fucking work of art. Now, as you said, Frank Avia, he's working on the spirit right now and he's doing the Lord's work on that book right now. Let's let I'm gonna just, you know, however long it takes for him to come out with whatever the sequel to this, because there's been some back and forth, because originally it was going to be called Necrologue, and now it's... It'd been solicited, I think, at one point, and they had to cancel the solicit. They're currently saying that that there will be a, a collected edition, like just an OGN that will come out in September, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that still rings true. But I am telling you what, this guy is, is to me, the heir apparent to Will Eisner right now. This is a guy who has design capabilities of some of the great movie poster artists of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. That's one of the most goddamn near, I mean, the the heir apparent to Will Eisner. The 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 heir apparent to Will Eisner. Who is often cited as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, comic artists and writers. Well, here's here's some of the stuff, because they, they got cover blurbs from various creators. So here's a cover, cover blurb for you. The Black Beetle is like getting the raw mix of the sounds that created American adventure comics. A pure broadcast from the peaks of weird crime fiction, a lost recording from the Knights of Noir and Ray Guns. Sublime. That was written by Warren Ellis. Uh, oh, fuck. Nerdist writes, the hard-boiled mystery hits the ground running and doesn't keep pause to catch its breath. Um, Bleeding Cool writes, Francesco Francavia creates a fully realized pulp hero in the Black Beetle. Do we have a new rocketeer here? It's looking more and more like it. This guy fits in perfectly, seamlessly, with characters like Dave Stevens, the rocketeer, with characters like Will Eisner's The Spirit. I mean, and it kind of makes sense that those. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. It, it kind of makes sense that 
it you said it was a dark horse cuz yeah. that while that time period is fucking incredible to read about mm-hmm. it doesn't dominate the sales charts no no it doesn't and um i'm telling you what if you want to read a mystery comic that is chock full of everything that i read in that in that cover blurb that i just read and this is it's not blowing it out of proportion there are equal parts organized crime nazis and occult mysteries i mean there's just there is everything to love about this comic book. He, again, I can't say it enough. He is the heir apparent to Will Eisner. If you doubt me, read The Spirit. Go back to uh, Afterlife with Archie, which is the book that prevented him from rolling out a sequel to this right away. His run on Afterlife with, Ar- with Archie was supposed to be four issues. And it still continues period, uh, intermittently. Period, intermittently, but it went for like 20-something issues straight because the response to... Archie and Zombies was fucking amazing, and it looked fucking amazing. Um, I, I cannot wait to reread this book. I, I have not reread it yet, but this is, again, another book with special features galore. Reference material, artistic designs, his earliest sketches of creating the look of the Black Beetle, both with his ray gun and his twin Colt 45s. Now, does it mention, like, some some creators have, like, this inkling of character from back when, you know, 10 years old. Is is this one of those things where it has that in the, uh, you know, in I, the uh, I, I, I extra would, features? I wouldn't necessarily go that far because I, I honestly haven't, like I said, I, I have not fully read this book. But um, you can see his earliest designs. And I mean, just, I want to get your reaction of just looking at this page. Good God, man. Um, even his, like, his quote-unquote sketchy style like is ink, very inks, tight. Yeah, they're ink sketches. And they already have that sort of pulp cover, movie poster, thrilling adventure serial kind of feel to it. Just in his earliest sketches. And if you sit here and, like, break down some of the concepts of the costume, you're like, oh, that would be kind of stupid to have a character that has this. But no, Francesco Francavia makes it fucking work and makes it look fucking awesome. It's awesome, especially when you see him just, it's just him in shadow, and all you see are the red bug eyes and the red scarab symbol. It's the shit. I mean, honest to God, I would... If I w- if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would pay all of his bills so he could do nothing but work on Black Beetle content. I mean, that's how much. I mean, he even did fake lobby cards like they used to do for the old movies. I mean, it's just to promote to help promote this book. It's just it, it, the love that goes into this book, and and extra points go to Dark Horse Comics for publishing it in a hardcover format that matches the way. I mean, it's still. Um, this is only 20 bucks. Are you only, fucking serious? Yeah, it's 20 bucks for five issues and extra content at the back. But the cover design, um, and I don't know if Frank Avia did the cover design or if that was somebody else, but um, it, it feel has the feel of just a large format pulp hardcover. And, and the thing is, it's, it's not that big, but it feels like an when I look at it, it feels like an epic read. Yeah, it, and, and, and honestly, it is an epic read. It's not a long read. It's not a hard read. You'll sit there and you'll root for this guy, and there are cliffhanger endings, and, and there's a great villain that I will not talk about at all because that would just fucking ruin it. Um, but you know, just like you get a masked hero, I will say that there's the possibility of a masked villain behind it all. So I'll just leave it at that Okay. and say for 20 bucks. 
you cannot go wrong with Dark Horse Comics presenting Francesco Francovia as the Black Beetle. And he understands iconography oh, so much. Because you talked about that, and the yep. bug eyes and the symbol, and I'm like, yeah, that's a very Batman thing. But for him to create a character from whole cloth that can do that yeah. is, uh, is such a, an incredibly difficult undertaking. All by uh, he's done this book all by his lonesome. I, Did he I, do the lettering in it too? Uh, let me take a look here. You know, because I know he he does coloring, he does pencils, well, inks. Real quick on the cover, Jim Steranko writes: "Move over, Spider and Shadow. A new Avenger has penetrated your dark milieu." Jesus. Jim Steranko loves this, so I'm going to flip to the. It's uh, the Black Beetle and No Way Out, a mystery tale by Fra- uh, Francesco Francavia. Um, so he works, okay, uh, I'm looking here, okay, the collection designers were Francovia with a guy by the name of Justin Crouch, or Justin Couch, excuse me, so, um, special thanks went out to Richardson, Darwin Cook, Jim Steranko, Warren Ellis, Gail Simone, Rick Remender, Matt Wagner, Steve Niles, Raphael Kayanen, Monique McPherson, Sierra Hahn, Scott Alley, and John Short. Just everybody who's everybody. Yeah. And uh, no, this is uh, 100% from what I can tell. Oh, and Darwin Cook also writes the foreword. Okay. Sold. Sold. And uh, Francesco Francovia, um, Darwin Cook did some alternate covers like this little page right here. That is awesome. That's pretty sick. Yeah. It's pretty dope. Uh, but like, no, I'd have a pinup of that. Uh, I would say. Yeah, that's it's all Frank Abias. Lettering, coloring, the that's whole nine yards. That's such a unique thing. You don't see it. You just don't see it. You know, and that that this guy pulled it off at this amazing order of magnitude. This is a this is something that I would love to see become an animated VOD like the New Frontier. You know, I mean, if some some enterprising animation studio can honor the work and have the artist involved in every decision of this. I would love to see an adaptation of this in animation. I feel like it's one of those things that if it if it had come around in like the the late '90s or or maybe early '90s, it could have been uh, one of those big cartoon properties. Maybe, maybe, who knows? But yeah. I hope there's a future for this book. I, I know he wants to do it, but you know he's an artist who needs to get paid, and he's doing he's doing some great work and. I'm just glad he's doing it, you know, and I can't wait for whatever comes next. But if I hear the Black Beetle getting solicited, I am running, not walking, not driving. I'm just going to run like a madman down the street to where I need to go order this book. And just fucking, just fucking pre-order it out of the Diamond catalog. And then there'd be my buddy Mike saying, why don't you just call me on the phone? <laughs> why, why are you running 11 and a half miles to Lodi? You might give yourself a heart condition or something. So um, anyway, so that's my second pick. So I, I went completely batshit crazy on that I, one. I understand. Like, you've got me fascinated. I'm like, well, that's something that I'm going to have to read. And it is available on Comixology and singles, too. So Great. I should say that. Um, so what's your number two pick? So my number two pick uh, is, uh, as we talked about on the creator-owned comics uh, podcast, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite comic series of all time is The Max. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the only way that you can get The Max bigger than it is is to print it in 11 by 17 format. What? What? Yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah, you're the, lying to me. No, yeah, they. You're, I, you're full of shit, Adam. There's I, no way a comic book would be published in eleven by seventeen. 
Trust me, they've done it. It is 2017. I, I know. I'm just so, getting, I'm just being hyperbolic here. That sounds fantastic, though. And I I love me some Sam Keith, uh, especially when I get to read it in the way that he has done the original comic boards in. Yeah. Uh, there's some dialogue missing, but there's some dialogue that's still there, and you get to see the difference between computer lettering. As, uh, and the hand lettering. Okay, let me ask you, what is the name of this edition? So this is the Max Artist Edition, and it's through IDW. Okay. Now, Which IDW, does a whole series of artist editions from different creators. They do, and the way they, they keep it is they'll re-solicit it every so often. They do one print run, and then they'll focus on some other artist editions, and then come back to it. Yep. And this book is $125. <laughs> And holy shit! I'm gonna put it out there. I would have paid two hundred yeah. and twenty five dollars yeah. for this because that's how big of a Sam Keith fan I am. Yeah, and to be able to see my the first six issues of my favorite comic series uh, in the format as close as I'm ever gonna get to the actual pages, right? Uh, is just a thrill for me. Oh wow! Um, it's all black and white. Uh huh. It's all, uh, Jim Sinclair was Sam Keith's inker at the time. Okay. So you get to see, uh, for me personally, I get to see what Jim adds to Sam's pencils versus how Sam works now with inking his own stuff. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if, for those of you familiar with the story of the Max, it's very much the, uh, the first six issues covers. You got a big purple guy jumping through different dimensions. trying. Yes, like. Like again, like his, his two middle fingers were fused into a giant claw. Yes, okay. and uh, the the bad guy wears this big, huge cape and is bald and has this really crazy goatee beard. Oh wow! Um, and you get to see some of the superheroics that go on through the series, uh, which are only in those first few issues, and then you get to see some of the emotional moments uh, where the characters are tied together. Uh-huh. And then you also get to see the crazy imagination of Sam Keith as he explores in the early stages these other this other dimension called the Outback. Oh wow. Um for me this is this is a book of a dedicated fan. Mm -hmm. Uh the casual consumer is not just going to go out there and drop 125 bucks on a book. But if you're a Sam Keith fan like I am, or a Max fan like I am, uh -huh. uh, this is well worth the investment. Wow. Uh, this is, you get to see the process of how this book was made. Wow. This book isn't necessarily for getting your story front to back. It is to be there with the artist, and it's very much director's commentary oh, on man. this black and white book. Wow. So, I mean, I, I can't speak highly enough about this. Uh, it's the only artist edition book that I own. Oh, well, I think you pick a pretty good one. Um, I'm, I'm just blown away by the idea that he actually hand-lettered it before it was computer-lettered. Did I hear that right? Yeah, there's, and it's a, it's a weird mix, because I'm like, well, the, I, know the, I know especially that first issue probably too well. Uh, more than any person should know something like that, <laughs> where I'm looking and I'm like, oh, this is missing a dialogue box here. Okay. Okay. And then, I mean, I don't believe he lettered it, but the, some of the letters, and I believe Mike Heisler uh, was the letterer on it, are pasted to the board, and uh -huh. others you can tell they went back 
and he wanted uh, William Mesner Lobes, who dialogued it, wanted to go back and add a couple things. Oh wow! So that was really neat for me, and you get to read it as it was originally, uh, not intended, but as it it was originally uh, the original idea behind it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I I can't recommend this highly enough. That I, I, you know, and I've heard you talk. I'm sorry. I, batted my microphone accidentally. Um, I've heard you talk about the Max before, and I know how much you love it, but um, I, I definitely see the draw of something that you are an absolute fan of and and just going for it. You know, I mean, there's there are some books out there which are absolutely, absolutely worth it. Um, I was on the hunt, because I had been to Silicon Valley Comic Con recently. I was on the hunt for the Absolute Planetary because... Warren Ellis and John Cassidy's magnum opus, I think it was 26 issues long. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got something right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it took like a year and a half for the 26th issue to come out. <laughs> or it felt like it anyway. I think it was like five years or something stupid have, like it, that. It, it, it was, because they were both working on so many different well, crazy yeah, things. Uh, Cassidy was doing Astonishing. He did Astonishing X-Men before that motherfucker finished Planetary. Right. Right, and I also picked up the trades for Astonishing Axemen, oh, the Joss nice. Whedon run. Nice. So, uh, that's, I mean, it's not on my list today, but those are f- fucking phenomenal stories. So seek out the Astonishing Axemen by, by Joss Whedon, you know, that guy who directed the uh, fucking Avengers, uh, yeah. <laughs> writing some of the best X-Men comics in modern history. Um, but anyway, I was on the hunt for the Absolute Planetary, and I just couldn't find it. I found so many other Absolute Editions, um, but I, I just couldn't know. I needed to save my money for that or I'm not going to get it. And I didn't get it. So I just got a bunch of other trades instead. So more stories to tell. Um, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, I love your love for the max. And I, and I, 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 John Wright, who was on the last podcast for the guardians review, he is a huge max fan. Also. Oh, awesome. So, Huge shout out to John on that. I know he's going to want to talk to you next time we, we get together. Um, I'm going to go into my third one, my yeah. third and final one here. So I have my autographed, the fuck? my autographed Starman Omnibus Volume One. May it's I, the may paperback look at by it? all means. Okay. So way back when Adam and I first started doing this version of GCP together, um, I told him that the book from the 1990s that he needed to read more than anything else was James Robinson's Starman. And let me tell you, this was a guy who, like Neil Gaiman with Sandman, was allowed to tell a, a story. And this one, unlike Sandman, was set in the DC superheroic continuity that was told from, he got his genesis in the DC event Zero Hour. And um, then he quickly went into his own Zero issue. And uh, I think it ran for 120 some odd issues. And James Robinson, first with Tony Harris, who is an amazing illustrator, as I think uh, he you can find on Wildstorm's Ex Machina comic, has nothing to do with the, the movie, by the way of a superhero turned mayor of New York. Um, He got his start pretty much on this book right here, which is fucking amazing. And then the second half of the series was drawn by, and if I'm mispronouncing his name, please slap me, but 
what Peter Snezberg, I think, is the artist's name. It, it was or Snayberg or something yeah, like that. Yeah, him and and I know Gene Haw came in and did quite a bit too. He he did some stuff, but then you get these. So it's the story of the son of the World War II superhero, cosmic rod wielding Starman, and um, the story starts with his brother David Knight standing on the ledge of this tower in his hometown of Opal City, which you might have heard referenced on the Flash or Arrow TV series recently, and he is shot dead by a sniper in the first couple of pages of the book. And Jack, who the original Starman Ted Knight was his, was the, the, the pair's father, um, had always intended Jack to take on the heroic legacy because he knew his son Jack had the hero spirit, but David just wanted to beat his dad so bad he put on his spandex and grabbed his cosmic rod and tried to fight crime and was killed the first day he went out onto the ledge to take flight. Wow. No pressure. That's that a hell of a debut there. Hell of a debut. I mean... And, um, I, God, this book is so, I, I, God, where do I start? So Jack Knight, he is this, this antique dealer. He's got this kind of rockabilly flair to him. He's got like dupe in his hair, you know, so he's got the Brian Setzer thing happening. He's got, you have to understand this is the 1990s, right? Uh, he run an, he runs an antique shop, you know, he's into vinyl records, uh, he's into, he sounds like the hipster before the hipster was a thing. It, I am absolutely telling you that this is a guy who is an archaeologist of pop culture and that was his day job you know his day job was running this antique store that had everything from you know like original first pressing of like miles davis you know wow. uh you know um uh you know stuff like that you know, stuff like that. And uh, sorry, just was distracted there for just a second by my own brain there. <laughs> um, you know, to, you know, like tin train sets and secret Dakota rings that were found in cereal boxes in the 1940s. And, you know, and he never said that he wanted to be a superhero, but there was something about him that made him uniquely qualified to be a superhero. He had the internal willpower to control the rod, to to wield the cosmic energies that Ted Knight designed it to. And and I'll be honest, now thinking about it, and I haven't really thought about it up until I've started talking about it on this podcast. You know how um, uh, Joseph Campbell informed George Lucas, you know, with the hero of a thousand faces, you know, the heroic cycle, and that the very first thing was the the call to adventure and how the hero is supposed to deny it. He told his dad to get lost. He had been become estranged from his father, who was aged to a very elderly status due to the temporal manipulations of extant and, and fucking whomever. I fuck zero Whatever hour. That I mean, that, that was a, it was. was a fucking mess. I love Dan Jurgens, but dude, um, <laughs> so um, their attempt at their faulty attempt at resetting the DC continuity yeah. yet again. They said that space was fixed with Crisis on Infinite Earths, but time needed to be fixed with zero hour bullshit. Um, anyway. Uh, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> but at the but, same but, time, had that not happened, we wouldn't have gotten this this classic. And that's that's the exact point I want to make. There were some other good books that tried to make its way out from Zero Hour, but it just wasn't critically well-received. Like, there was this book featuring a Red Tornado-led team of, of elementally-themed heroes called Primal Force 
that had come out. Um, that sounds only, like a really bad '90s cartoon that lasted it, like ten episodes. It, 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 but it, it it was the book that tried really hard, but just couldn't find an audience. And I would have loved to have seen something with Primal Force. But because it had characters like Jack O' Lantern and Claw the Unconquered and Red Tornado, it was fucking weird. That sounds that sounds like a recipe to either be a disaster or be a great book. It was it was a book that was maybe a little bit ahead of its time, you know. That's it. Yeah, I you can know, definitely I, I see that. Be. But but this book over and and I'll tell you, it's about twelve issues per per soft cover volume. There's six volumes in this series. And I was lucky enough to order this from online, and I got an autograph from James Robinson, the the author of this. And I'm like, fucking awesome. Um, there's so many great characters. You know, we get the they expand the Starman mythology, which never really was because he was at best a backup character and and a, a background character in the original All Star Comics Justice Society and whatnot. But they really gave this character depth. Um, James Robinson wrote this book called The Golden Age, um, drawn by Paul Smith. I don't know if you're aware of that book. Um, but basically, Ted Knight, they found out, stopped being a superhero towards the end of World War II to go join the Manhattan Project. Oh, wow. So he was one of the scientists that helped develop the atomic bomb, and he had a nervous breakdown afterwards because of the loss of life that was caused by him helping Einstein and, and Oppenheimer and all of them crack the code on that weapon. I mean, let that sit for a second. So this even ties into that. Yes. And plays off of, plays off of the that. Golden Age. And then it expands the story of the villains of the Golden Age. Characters like the Mist, the Shade. Ragdoll becomes this insane cult-leading serial killer. Um, you know, he's triple-jointed, you know, meaning he can fit himself into a shoebox if he wants to. And he can spring out and, and take lives, and, and he had this cult worship him. That, in fact, even after his supposed death, still worships him. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy, insane. crazy shit. I mean, this was the stuff that was coming out. You know, it wasn't long, long when when this book came out that Ted Bundy was put to death, that Jeffrey Dahmer had died in prison, that all these serial killers were being caught. Um, the BTK killer, um, you know, so, I mean, it was pervasive. So it, it hearkened to some of the the real-life occurrences at the time. Right, and like Jack Knight was the son of a Golden Age hero, the children of Golden Age villains started to come after him as well, some of whom had access to his dad's hyper-technology. And then they then they turned the shade from, from an outright supervillain into this sort of gentleman thief, but that he had a love affair with the city of Opal, and he wanted to defend Opal as much as Starman did. Like, he'll go to Central City to rob a bank, but he'll totally come back to Opal City to help help fight the menace that seeks to destroy it. Now, is this... Did, did Shade the Changing Man spin out of this, or no. is that a completely, completely different? Completely different. Book. Okay. Yeah, completely. That was Peter Milligan, I think, yeah. uh, and over Cr- at Vertigo. Yeah, okay. I just wasn't yeah. sure if they were related at all. And uh, they do these great things like Times Past. You know how in modern comics they have these flashbacks to the, the Golden Age or something like that? It got its start here by James Robinson. Like... Starman having trouble putting down Ragdoll, becoming a, a, a homicidal cult leader. He needed to call in the likes of Alan Scott, Jay Garrick, Rex Tyler, and Dr. Fate, you know, <laughs> 
to come help him with that. So this is a, a you know third, second generation hero calling upon his. No, father's... that was Ted Knight. Oh, okay, okay. That was a story of story of his dad. Oh, okay. You know they have stories. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil it because you know, like I said, we see David Knight killed in the beginning of the series, but it's not the last of David Knight that we see in the series. So I'll just let that ruminate, let you ruminate on that one for a second. And this is James Robinson's masterpiece. That between that and the Golden Age, it's the reason why he's writing comics today. It, it really is. And you know, there's a book he's doing right now, Marvel: The Scarlet Witch, which is actually a really cool book. Um, I'm enjoying that book quite a bit. He's he's had some stumbles in getting back into superhero writing after coming back from trying trying screenwriting. Um, some magnificent Superman. <coughs> yeah, it, I mean, God bless. I, I still think James Robinson, just like Dan Jurgens, had some real stumbles for a while before, you know, he came back and and started writing, you know, the Rebirth uh, action comics book. So, look, this this book, Starman, all six volumes are in print. They're available online. They're available in the Comicsology section. Um, but go to your go to your local comic book shop. Ask for them to order you Starman. Uh, you might get lucky and get an autographed copy like I did. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, you can really not. Oh, here's that. Uh, oh, it was not. Um, it was not Doctor Fate. It was. It was just Our Man, Flash, and Green Lantern that went. That was the cover and for that's that book. Such a beautiful cover by Tony Harris. Yeah, I mean Tony Harris is such. And then the later issues, you know, P- Peter Snayberg, who has such a wildly different style, maybe akin sort of like a proto-Darwin Cook in a lot of ways, you know, with the simple line work and the almost cartoonist kind of touch to it. They go on this space odyssey with and encounter the other characters to bear the, the title Starman. So it, does he talk to the Legion of Superheroes Starman uh, or Starboy? I'm trying to remember. No, he doesn't. Okay, because I was like, that would that. just be batshit fucking it crazy. It would be batshit crazy. I'm trying to remember if he did or not. To be quite honest, I don't remember. I think he might have. I got. You know what I got to do? I got to read all six volumes again. Uh, that sounds like a, a worthy, a worthy thing for me. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do this week. Um, so yeah, yeah, hell yeah. But kids, if you want to read the heroic myth cycle, as as pretty much done by Joseph Campbell, applied to a modern superheroes comics character. This is the one right here. So you definitely get more than your money's worth with there, it. There weren't a whole lot of noteworthy superhero comics to come out of the 90s. Oh, most of them were fucking terrible. And this one is the exception that proves the rule. This was art. This yes. book was art. So what's, your, what's the last one on your list for so today? So the final one um, for me, and this one kind of holds a spot because uh, it, we are recording on Mother's Day. Uh-huh. Um, this is the first graphic novel that I was able to convince my mom to sit down and read Oh, at, I think, 65. Okay. Uh, and to actually enjoy. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is Essex County by Jeff Lemire. Oh, yeah. Also reviewed in the original graphic content. Really? Yeah, so there'll be an episode which talks about Essex County. Well, this this will be a great uh, contrast to yeah. that to hear how it was perceived back then, which I want to say it was. It had just been collected in I all three say, stories I say. as to where it holds up now. Yeah. And you get to see the stories of three different characters, mm-hmm. um, and they're, each story is probably about 60 pages. 
uh, something like that. Maybe sounds, seven. Sounds about it right. It was like a graphic. Each one was like a graphic novella. Yeah. And the artwork by Jeff Lamar, it's all black and white. Uh-huh. And it has this, this ugliness to it mm-hmm. that makes everything human. Who published it real quick? Top, top Shelf. Top Shelf. That's right. Okay. And uh, yeah, they've put out a hard a hardcover edition and mm-hmm. then a soft cover edition, and they're both extremely affordable. Uh, for as much as you get, you get. I mean, those th- it's it's probably four inches thick. That's pretty. Something. It's 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 thicker than the New star front. than the Starman omnibus. Okay, but I think that's partially because the paper stock. Uh, because they went with a completely unique paper stock. Really. Um, as as opposed to anything else in in mainstream, so comics. almost like like a real kind of heavyweight. Uh, yeah. Okay. And and it was it was very much a stylistic choice and makes the the art stand out in my opinion. Okay. Um, because it's the kind of it's not the complete gray newspaper, but uh-huh. it is a darker. Shade of of white. So essentially, if that I mean, makes for sense. The, yeah, it does. And you know, um, Essex County is the is the book that put Jeff, that Canadian kid Jeff Lemire, on the on the uh, on the comics map, as it were. What is it about in a nutshell? For because so, we're running out of time for this episode. As I said, it's it's it follows three different characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is a boy looking for his father, uh-huh. uh, but it turns out that there's this disappointment when he does meet his father and he believes he has this imaginary belief that he's a superhero. Okay. And so he runs around pretending to be a superhero while his, uh, the man he lives with, uh, which I think he calls dad, but is, is not his dad. Uh, he, he basically ignores all the responsibilities out on a farm. And okay. is all, you know, I'm a superhero. I'm going to go around and fly. And it's really amazing to see the relationship as this, this local man who they never say whether it's his father or not. But what they do is they show that he has a really strong bond with this guy. I was really impressed with how well that they were able to skirt that line. Uh-huh. And how well they were able to uh, just minimal, minimal dialogue and let the art do the storytelling. Uh, I cannot recommend, like, I can't recommend this highly enough because it goes from that heart-wrenching tale to another heart-wrenching tale of a guy who uh, is who is struggling with kind of a midlife crisis, except he's really, really old. Uh-huh. And he used to be a hockey player. And then you get to see how he transitions from a hockey player into uh, a quote-unquote adult job, which is driving a, tr- uh, a local train. Right. Uh, and it's very, like, mundane slice of life. Huh. And uh, you get to see him through the ages and how his his uh, relationship with his wife and his family evolve, and you get to see a lot of inner family drama. Right. Uh, and it's very... While it's all set in Canada, mm-hmm. it seems very much middle America. Okay. Um, and then the last one is about a lady who's caring for an old man. Uh-huh. 
and the old man just so happens to be the man from the second story. Oh wow! And it's her, it's her kind of what led her to be a caretaker. Okay. And why? And it goes into all her motivations as to why she's there, and how it's more than a job, and how she connects with this old man, who That's the really old man cool. has dementia and has no clue really who she is, but yet she still manages to care for him uh-huh. and treat him while tre- treating him not quite as an equal, but as much of an equal as she can. Right. Wow. Um, that sounds, yeah, that's, it, it sounds like something where if you really need a palate cleanser from the almost endless torrent of superhero explodo kind of action, this is the book that can put you in touch back with you, put you back in touch with humanity. Absolutely. That's, I couldn't yeah. have said it better myself. Yeah. That's part of why it spoke to my mom is because it wasn't flights and tights. Yeah. It was, it was people dealing with uh, personal problems that, that really hits home to the core of what makes us. And, you know, that, I think that's one, a great example to bring up because, you know, look, the, the three comics I brought up, they're superhero stories. Now, Jack Knight, I should say, is a guy who wears who is a guy who wears blue jeans and a leather jacket and steampunk kind of goggles. He doesn't wear suit, traditional superhero costume at all, but it's still flights and tights, essentially. You know, when you get to the core of it. Um, but there is something for everybody when it comes to comics. There's still Western comics being put out. There are still crime comics being put out. Look at the shit Ed Brubaker's doing over oh an image gosh, right now. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, you know, there's pulp comics like The Black Beetle. Hell, Doc Savage is having a, a resurgence over at Dynamite. Oh, him and what Chris Roberson's done with, with Doc Savage has yep. been fantastic. It really is great. I'm really looking forward to the trade collection for The Death of Margot Lane for, for The Shadow. Oh, my gosh, written yes. Written and drawn by Matt Wagner. Um, it's been too long since we've had right. anything written and drawn by him. I know. Um, and, you know, we talked on Indie Own, uh, uh, Indie Creators, or Creator Own Comics, however you want to put it, about Copperhead and, uh, you know, some of the great sci fi comics being put out now. So, you know, these are all high adventure, you know, um, some are hi fi comics, some are lo fi comics. Um, and then you get books that have these quiet tones. Like, what was the name of the one about uh, the girl who, on the creator-owned cast, uh, the girl who's the uh, waiter, waitress at the diner? She started out at that, and she moved around the country a lot. Oh, local. Local, okay. You know, books like Local, books like Essex County, where you can, you can take that breath and just get into what a character drama is, or... For that matter, some of them are just character comedies, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you can you can see what it is to be human in 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 realistic fashion, and I think that there is so much space for that still uh, in comics publishing. And I wish more comic creators would give that 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 kind of uh, uh, sensibility a, a try. Yeah, is is a little addendum to to that is. Uh Whenever Underwater Welder came out, mm-hmm. my which was not his follow, it was like his follow up graphic novel. It didn't have anything to do with Ex- Essex County, but it was the next original graphic novel he wrote and drew for Top Shelf. Okay. Um, whenever my mom discovered that that Underwater Welder had come out, she asked me for it. Interesting. Um, yeah, she heard me and a friend talking about it, and she's like, "Oh, that guy that did the Essex County book, uh-huh. he did another book." I was like, "Yeah," and. Uh, 
So I borrowed it from that friend. I read it, and then as soon as I was done, she read it. That's cool. Yeah. So that's really amazing. Yeah, my seventy-year-old mom, who uh, you know, had always tolerated my comics love, <laughs> uh, and I mean, she bought me action figures and all that. Sure. But has found something for her. That's really neat. That is fantastic. You know, comics really are for everyone. You just need to find the right wavelength. You need to find the right story. Absolutely. You know, so uh, just to recap, my three titles, uh, Darwin Cook's DC, The New Frontier, Francesco Francavia's The Black Beetle from Dark Horse, and also going back to DC is the Starman Omnibus Volume 1, but really... Just bear down and spend the, oh, what is it? It's 30 30 bucks bucks an issue. Get all six issues. Spend $180, and you'll have one of the most acclaimed, and I should say Eisner-winning storylines. Oh, that's right. Didn't Tony Harris won some Eisners for that? Tony Harris and James Robinson both won Eisners for this. Um, It's it's one of the most storied comics. It's one of the comics that, that comics creators still talk about. Because it's a beginning, middle, and end superhero story. So, and then your your three titles again, Adam. Mine. Uh, the first one was a contract with God by Will Eisner. Got it. Uh, I think published by Pantheon Books. I think so. Yes. Um, the next is uh, IDW's The Max Artist Edition, mm-hmm. uh, which is 125 bucks. And if it's, I'm not sure if copies are still available. They will come around and reprint it at some point. Yep. Uh, and then the the final was Top Shelf Comics is uh, Essex County by Jeff Lemire. Uh, great picks, and uh, you know, I am now ready to finally divest myself of adventure comics just a little bit. I'm not going to sell them <laughs> off. That's I'm, divest is the wrong that, word. That, that's crazy. But I want to invest in some of these stories as well because I, I think I need to to. Uh, uh, broaden my horizons, as it were. So, uh, look, kids, we've got some great stuff coming up on future episodes of Graphic Content. Uh, we just recorded today an interview. I should say Adam recorded an interview today with Hannibal Taboo, uh, who you, whom you might have heard about. Could you just tell us a little bit about it, Adam? Yeah, Hannibal Taboo is a writer. He, And by a writer, I mean that man has, is fucking dedicated to his craft. Yes. Uh, he has written the bipile over at CBR since 2006. Uh, he has a, a website called The Operative Network uh, that's been publishing web comics. He's written for Aspen Comics and Top Cow. Yep. Uh, he, while he's not, he's not Brian Bendis, he's a creator that you, everyone needs to look out for. Honestly. And, and he, Honestly. he has a voice that him and, and the artists he work with... Uh, is will provide that is a unique take than anything else you're reading out there. Um, there's a he. I'll, I'll tease. He informs me of a new co- indie comics publisher oh. that is not using Diamond. What? Yes, th- oh. this publisher shirks dr- Diamond. So this is an interview you definitely want to listen for. Um, I think that there will be some very interesting things said on that one. We have more creator interviews lined up. Uh, we're moving into the summer blockbuster season, so there's more good stuff. We've got Wonder Woman, right? Can you believe Wonder Woman is three weeks away, Adam? I, I've been following Nicola Scott on uh-huh. uh, Instagram, and she counts down every day and posts a Wonder Woman picture. Okay, so I need to uh, subscribe to Nicola Scott's Twitter feed and Instagram feeds. 
because uh, she is awesome. And uh, yeah, I didn't even realize that. She's keeping the count for me where I'm just I'm like, really? 19 days? This is, is fucking really crazy. Just that yeah, long? That's yeah. Fucking crazy. So uh, we're on the precipice of Spider Man? Spi- the Spider Man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean. Jesus, it's we've got uh, some great properties coming out that way. We got lots more comic stuff to talk about. Um, we've got San Diego's going to be coming up before we and know it. You know, is that be- fucking next month? Is it in? No, it's not in June. It's in July. Okay, yeah, I was about I, to have a heart attack. Like, but how much time has passed? But Disney D twenty three is just the week before Comic Con. So th- what would be interesting to see is. Will Marvel's uh, Studios and um, um, Lucasfilm want to try to kill the buzz of San Diego by announcing properties at D at the D twenty three convention instead of at SDCC? Honestly, uh, I'd like to see them do all their movie shit over at D twenty three, and then uh, get may actually make San Diego about comics again. Wait a minute. San Diego Comic Con about comics? What the fuck is wrong with you? I, dude? I know that's uh, stupid. That's on my crazy end. talk. Yeah, it's uh, I, well, a man can dream. God damn it! I okay, so I th- I think I'm gonna let you do that for right okay. now. But and then we got, like I said, we got a lot more comics to talk about. Um, remember, we've got the Star Wars feed starting up pretty soon on Holonet HQ, Volume One. Of we've gra- got graphic content, graphic content flashback. Uh, volume One, Episode One is going to be dropping soon. Uh, so, you know, we are going to look at our schedule for that one. Um, I might actually be accelerating, uh, the, this podcast and the Hannibal taboo, taboo interview a little bit sooner rather than later. And then we'll bump, uh, graphic content flashback volume one, episode one to the following week. So I think yeah. that'll be good. Yeah. I think um, we'll do that. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, Jim. Hit me. Uh, What's our? We got Hannibal Taboo, but what's our next episode going to be about? Well, that would be telling now, wouldn't it? Why? But the fucking I don't even know. That would be telling, wouldn't it? All okay, right. no, actually, I think we should talk about it. Um, we're going to be talking about superheroes in animation. Okay, and that's what you talked about with Manny Gomez coming yes. in. Manny and Gomez, all who was on our our Guardians of the Galaxy review, uh, who's an aspiring artist. And uh, a hell of a guy. Uh, he wants to. He's been wanting to talk to me about the the Judas contract, which is a Teen Titans VOD release that just came out. And me being, oh, I don't know, one of the biggest Teen Titans fans. I mean, seriously, I'm like six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pounds. I'm a big dude. Uh, I am one of the biggest Teen Titans fans, literally. Um, seriously. Uh, we want to talk about superheroes in animation. You know, we've got Young Justice Season 3 that's been approved. We've got, you know, the DC Animated Universe, the DCAU, the Br- the Bruce Tim stuff. We can even go back to the Fleischer Superman if you want. Oh, we're we're yeah. going to talk about superheroes in animation on our next recorded episode of Graphic Content Podcast. And that actually gives me a chance to, to talk about the Max yet again. <laughs> because... He had a cartoon in the 90s, kids. Yes, he did. That's how I got into the character. And that's how MTV got out of playing music videos. Yeah. So, Adam, I think it's time to wrap this one up. We've well, been doing this for a bit. I know. I'm but sorry. But you're going to do something. This is the last detour. Okay, uh, I think I said the last detour. I'm going to bat my head in a microphone. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's I keep okay. extending this. But all I really want, Jim, uh-huh. is for people to be able to follow you on the interwebs. Okay, you know what? That's a 
fair call out. It's a fair call. I mean, you might have heard like some banging and rumbling during the the last bit of Adam's talk about Essex County. That's because the uh, laptop almost ran out of power. Oh, holy shit. And I had to run to grab the charger in another room. So okay. Good cover for me, but I decide for ultimate transparency. Okay. Nonetheless. I like it. So that kind of threw me off my game there. Yeah. Um, okay. So where can the kids find me? So I'm at Jim Mason on Facebook, where we also maintain the graphic content podcast fan page. We, uh, we, I am on uh, the Twitter, the Twitter, as the kids say, uh, at Jimmers with three M's, at, on Instagram, at Jimmers with five M's. I will never, ever get a Snapchat account, so don't even fucking say it. <laughs> um, Snapchat, I you think. You like being married. Yeah, and, and there's nothing that is going to jeopardize that ever. Uh, Adam, where can the kids find you online? Uh, Adam S. Messinger, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I do have a Snapchat. I just don't use it ever. Um, That's probably a good idea. Yeah. Uh, sometimes my f- music friends will post like, oh, here's a show I went to and shit from there. And that's fun. Yeah, I suppose. But, but I mean, I'd like to be able to find it. I hate that shit that disappears. Yeah, I mean, that's annoying. I don't understand. Yeah. I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a podcast out there for you yeah, to, I'm not to gonna, learn about Fuck technology. that. I'm not going to take the time. <laughs> I'm going to talk more Star Wars. So, um, so and, yeah, you can find me all over the interwebs just at Adam S. Messinger. And you can find the podcast at Graphic Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we have the Facebook page, which we've mentioned. We are uh, graphiccontent.podcast on Instagram, and Adam has been the curator of that page. Don't, um, don't break the fourth wall. I'm sorry, I pretend dude. I pretend it has a life of its own. I, I forgot you're like the gray man of, of the fucking Instagram feed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, you can also send longer form email uh, if you're a creator who wants to get a hold of us. Uh, to look at your work, um, we've gotten some had had some fantastic conversations with creators. Yet, you know if, that you will want to watch our Twitter feed. That's all I'm going to say. I yeah. think it's best to leave it mysterious. And Jim's forwarded me a cu- forwarded me a couple of emails that have a lot of potential to make for very fun, very informative future episodes. Yes. So if you are a creator or just a fan of the show and like to reach out to us in longer form than than Twitter allows, hit us up at therealgraphiccontent at gmail.com. That so, sounds so, simple so, and, and easy. Does that satisfy your need for self-promotion? It does. It does. <laughs> now that we've got the whoring out of the way. I forgot. We're on the internet. We have to be internet whores, don't yes. we? So, uh, look, we're going to be talking superheroes and animation. We've got another interview that we're lining up, but not just ready to announce just yet. Uh, look for that announcement on the Twitter and the Facebook page. Um, and until next time... Go read a comic. And after you're done with that comic, listen to graphic content.